the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. I'm actually uh, in Pennsylvania right now. I came up to Pennsylvania from the swamp, and I will give you a report on the election in Pennsylvania, and I'll give you what you need to know about that election. Uh, we'll talk in a few moments with uh, John Schlafly. We'll get an update from John Schlafly. And some big news. Um, I will finally get to interview Dinesh D'Souza. I think it'll be well, Thursday or Friday this week. Uh, stay tuned on that. It's been delayed a couple of times. He's kind of a busy guy with his movie 2000 Mules, uh, 2000 Mules, which has gotten a lot of attention now. So, uh, but let's talk about the election, uh, on Tuesday and what you saw. Now, and there's a lot to talk about, right? Uh, state, uh, excuse me, Congressman Ted Budd in North Carolina benefited from Trump's endorsement and surge to the nomination, right? Um, in Pennsylvania, uh, Oz, Dr. Oz, uh, was a- able to get to, I don't know, the lead by a few thousand votes. I attribute that to Trump. Uh, in a, a place after place, you saw the energy of the Trump endorsement. But more importantly, there's not a person that ran, that won anywhere. Oh, uh, Doug Mastriano, uh, who is, uh, Pennsylvania governor, uh, Republican ca- uh, nomination now, nominee now, he was a big, uh, uh Trump supporter, uh, tr- supported by Trump. But my point here is it's not so much that the Trump endorsement is what's matter. E- e- even the people that aren't endorsed by Trump are, are Trumpy, fully Trumpy, totally Trumpy. It's not, it's not even close. And so it's extraordinary to watch and extraordinary to see how it's the Republican Party of Donald J. Trump. That's the facts. But what you need to know is Pennsylvania has shown again how stupid the ruling class thinks we are. And when I say the ruling class, I mean both parties. Because both parties in the last five years have publicly gone out and campaigned and said that they do not believe the election system that we have in this country is effective. Five years ago, it was Hillary Clinton and the Democrats who were complaining about foreign interference. In the last year and a half, it's been the Republicans. I've told you before, I'm reading a book by Tracy Campbell, a professor, I think at the University of Kentucky, uh, could be at a, uh, one of the Kentucky universities, not not the University of Kentucky. But uh, Tracy Campbell wrote a book on election fraud up to 2004. That's it was published in about 2000, I think, 13 or, or 12. And the book shows how definitively we've always had problems with elections, but we've always had the ability to take the problem seriously and get to solutions. And that brings us to today. What you need to know is in Pennsylvania. What you saw, what you saw happen was a a race between uh, uh, Dr. Oz and this McCormick guy. 
that's now within a couple thousand votes, but they again had problems. They had problems with printed ballots. They had problems with mail-in ballots. They had problems with counties, a county, at least one, stopping counting. The system is broken. And every time that we finish an election and everyone says, oh, geez, that system didn't seem good enough. And when I say it's broken, what I mean is not that it doesn't work at all. It works sort of, but it gives people the impression, the overwhelming impression that the system is either rigged or incompetent or rigged. And uh, it's the impression that it's either rigged or it's completely inadequate. That's the phrase, the word inadequate, unable to do the job. That's the impression. And so every time we have an election, 2020 you had it, 2016 we had it. In 2018, you had Kamala Harris going all over town saying that, oh, my gosh, we got to worry about elections. And by the way, when the Georgia governor's race went down, Stacey uh, Abrams said it was stolen for years. She said it was stolen from her. So we have both sides agreeing on the problem. And what you need to know is no one willing to do anything. They, they take us for fools. And here's why. I've taken to saying it like this. If you're a fox and you're in the hen house and someone says, you know what, we need to decide who gets to be foxes, how we get to decide who gets to be the foxes in the hen house. You know what happens? All the foxes in the hen house say, let's keep it just the way it is. It's working pretty good for us. And so I only know of one person in Congress who truly knows that elections are rigged, and that's Congressman Pete Sessions of Texas, because his election in 2018 was stolen from him. Uh, and he, he only got back in office in 2020. He ran for a new seat and got back in office. And so he's clear-eyed that they can game the system. But I'm telling you right now, there are 101 ways to steal an election. And every time we're shown that in an election, like we are in Pennsylvania right now, we have no will from the leadership in either party, or let me say it better, no leadership in either party, no one who's willing to step up and dramatically change the game. I'm not just talking about debating about should we have early voting by 17 days or 14 days. I'm saying no more mail-in ballots, period. I'm saying let's have a situation where we have one day of voting and you can only do absentee at a certain time with a certain amount of, uh, uh, of requirements and that's it. Whatever the, whatever the aspects of this need to be, dramatic changes, and here's the trick, here's the key. It needs, whoever will do this will win elections. They will win elections and they will dominate. There needs to be someone who says, we are going to have transparency in the system. You will be able to recognize what this, how the system changed and how it's now managed differently so you can have confidence in the system. And we're, we're now going to have Dr. Oz and, and this uh, McCormick guy do a recount. And they're going to spend all their time doing a recount. And they're going to show that the system is broken. They printed ballots wrong. They counted them wrong. They had human error. They had uh, machine error and all this stuff. And yet when we're done, will there be a mass movement to change things? No. And I, I will want to say one more thing. Doug Mastriano, who is a friend of mine, I can say that. He's a guy I know pretty well, a state senator from Pennsylvania, a really good dude, a retired military guy. Uh, I was with him about three weeks ago for a big dinner. He won the nomination for uh, governor. He, he actually, I think, if he is elected governor, will go after making the elections transparent for both parties. But, you know, again, when I ran the election board in St. Louis, I used to tell people we have two jobs. One job is to run a really competent system. It's a complex system. You have to run it well. It's going to take some time and some practice. Let's do it well. And the second thing, though, is you have to 
talk about and educate about the system so that people believe their vote counts and they believe that they're valued and they believe that the system isn't broken. You can't do one without the other. If you do one without the other, the system is breaking down. And I will say this. What you need to know right now is the threats of China, threats of Russia, threats of uh, violent video games, threats of Joe Biden's imaginary white supremacy, whatever you think the threats to our nation are, there is no larger threat to our nation and the rule of law and the Constitution than the destruction of our election systems. And the destruction is not happening by one fell swoop and one big uh, bomb. It's happening by general mismanagement, general distrust, and a growing realization that the, the, the systems of our elections are either rigged, that's how it feels to me, or inadequate. And either one of those two, at this point, we've got to change. Or we're not, we're not, ser- or we're not serious. We're not serious about America. We're not serious. Inflation is a monstrous problem. I'm up in Pennsylvania and I'm driving around and, and I'm meeting uh, Democrat owners of gas stations. I shouldn't say owners. One Democrat owner of a gas station and plenty of other people who are talking about it who is saying to me, how can they keep the gas prices like this? How can they not open the pipelines? What are they doing? He said, it's just driving us crazy. He said, if food prices up, gas prices up, inflation going crazy. And all of that pales, and I'm being serious, in comparison to the reality of our broken election system. Because if we don't fix our election system, if we don't have confidence, the thing falls to, falls to pieces. It bottoms out. I'm not just talking about having the liberals elected to office. That's bad enough. I'm talking about the system not having civic participation and and engagement that has always been the American sort of touchstone that we vote and we care and even when you don't even when the turnout vote is you know 58% you say oh where's everybody else it's it's still a sort of way we feel and think about America that's what you need to know that's what's at stake and we've got to do something about it if we're serious all right, we've got to take a break. We've got a lot more on the show. Don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. If you're liking our content, if you're enjoying our content, like it on uh, Facebook and, uh, and heart it on Twitter and retweet and pass it on and uh, spread the word. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with John Schlafly. John Schlafly's weekly column with his brother Andy runs over at townhall.com, our sister site, and is archived with all of his other columns at phyllisschlafly.com. phyllisschlafly.com. Now, John, this week's column, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this one. Violent video games unleash more terror. And uh, we're, we're now going to talk about the buff- Buffalo uh, mass murderer. And you think it was the video games that caused it? Well, it's worth considering, uh, you know, the video game industry. First of all, some, some of your listeners might not realize just how huge that industry is. It's four or five times bigger than the film industry of Hollywood. And um, the, if you're not, the video games are an immersive experience uh, and it's risky for 
young people, especially young teenage boys, and we have witnesses now who have said, you know, multiple witnesses who've said that the shooter in Buffalo was immersed in the video game environment. And I think that needs to be seriously looked into. Um, uh, you know, certainly what uh, Joe Biden has been talking about uh, to give his explanation of what happened in Buffalo is wrong. Uh, but it does look, call for some more research about what is the explanation for this and other events like it. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly again, the column, which is over townhall.com and available at phyllisschlafly.com. Violent video games unleash more terror. Well, John, I, I, I would go further in a way. I would say that the power of uh, big tech and and in that in this case, I did not know that size. I didn't know you, what you said to me that the the gaming industry is five times as big as Hollywood in terms of. What dollars revenue? Is that the way you met your dollars? Oh, wow. Revenue. Yes. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Um, so but I do think in this sense, the, the business model of the gaming and I've seen it firsthand with my children, especially my sons, who who it has to be said, uh, are more interested in gaming than my daughters are. Um, but I, uh, but and I will now, say now, now, Ed, now that's that's a stereotype, Ed. Be no, careful. no, I'm, I'm, no I'm, I'm describing. I'm not. I'm not predicting. I'm describing the things that my daughter would like to do versus my son, and they're a couple years apart. But, but here's what I want to say, John. I, I the, with that much money at stake, they're not guessing what works. They're using neuroscience to know what works. Now, having said that. I don't know that that's yet illegal to use neuroscience to get people to want to watch a movie, want to play a game. The problem is uh, young people are their brains are not formed. Right. And I have said on the program recently, I think that if you can't drive a car until you're 16, why should you have a smartphone? Because a smartphone is as dangerous as a, as a car in, in lots of ways, I think. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's about the gaming. Because, again, different than when Al Gore, uh, Tipper Gore was saying, let's put a, a name, uh, you know, an, uh, a um, warning label on, on music or something. These gaming uh, uh, companies are using neuroscience to retrain, not just retrain, but to rebrain people. And I, I, I do think that part of your assessment, but... How, John, do you pull back? Why are there not why are there not uh, a thousand violent incidents with gaming or maybe there are and we don't see them? No, I think that uh, you have you combine the, uh, you know, the skill and the training of video game with, I think, someone who has uh, perhaps uh, maybe a little twisted. Uh, and uh-huh. but this but there was evidence that this young man. Uh, had previous episodes where there was a suspicion of something that he needed supervision or perhaps even to be committed to an institution, but that didn't go forward. And of course that's difficult to do as it should be. But um, I I think not, not enough, really not attention has been given to this specific issue about how shooter games no, now there's a lot of harmless or innocuous video games, mm-hmm. but then there are the shooter games where the young man is trained basically to take a bullet and keep firing. And that's what this young man did. What is so striking in Buffalo, Ed, I think, is that the security card, uh, uh, you know, fired at him 
And the young man took the bullet and kept on firing back. Now, that's remarkable. It really is remarkable. Hmm. Of course, he had a, he was wearing a bulletproof vest and he was able to do that. But still, think about the uh, mental intensity of a person to be able to do that, even with a bulletproof vest. And then he took out the heroic security guard and who was one of the one of the people killed. A horrible incident. But I think that illustrates in real life yeah. what the vid- what the shooter in a, a violent video game, uh, a shooter game, is yeah. trained to do. And John, they spend hours upon hours John, doing every day. John, in the, in, the, in your column, we're talking with John Schlafly, you mentioned that there, a few years ago there was a case, uh, a, a Supreme Court case, where uh, the, uh, conservatives, the late Justice Scalia, uh, Sam Alito, the associate justice, uh, considered conservative. They said that these violent video games are free speech, fully protected by the First Amendment. Uh, are you are you arguing at this point? Are you describing at this point that that it's gone past speech? In other words, it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like speech when you have a product that's sold to kids and they engage in the use of it. There, it's not speech. I mean, I, I, I don't know whether we're saying strict liability to the creators, you know, shouldn't go. go I, don't know, I don't know if I mean that, but, but it's, I don't think it's speech the same way that it could have been argued. No. Now, that, that was the late Justice Scalia who right. went but really off the deep end. Now, the other conservatives did not join that opinion. Hmm. And Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, Justice Roberts uh, did not join the sweeping opinion, which unfortunately declared that the video game industry, the makers of these games, that they're free, that they have a free speech right to communicate their products to impressionable teenagers. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think I, that yeah. went yeah. way too far. And frankly, I'm hoping that the conservatives who are now in the Supreme Court in the, will find a way to cut back on that. Yeah, uh, we're talking again, John Schlafly, his column over townhall.com and phyllisschlafly.com this week about uh, gaming, the gaming industry and unleashing terror. I, I will say again, John, in the in the column you and Andy wrote uh, the reference to the increase in binge watching. Again, the addictive nature that, of the gaming. It's not and I don't mean that by saying it's so much fun. People want to uh, be a play it. I'm saying that it's designed to be addictive. It's designed to create a chemical dependency, whether it's dopamine or whatever the neuroscientist will tell me it is uh, uh john I, I did not get to find in your piece when i read your pieces i always think oh they led me somewhere else you refer to this um uh, green bay packers lineman who d- tweeted uh the similarities between what happened in buffalo and shooter video games i can't find that anywhere on the internet is that what do you can you tell me the background on that and and see i can't find it looks like it's sort of gone uh from from uh from the the great uh google search engine uh well, uh, um, you know, it was, it was it was hard to find, uh, yeah. but uh, it turns up if you look for something that connects the Buffalo massacre with violent video games. And okay. this, you know, retired lineman for the Green Bay Packers uh, commented about that on his Twitter. And but he was shouted down. Mm. Uh, as though as as many people are on Twitter, he was, I don't say he was deplatformed, uh, but he received you know such a fierce 
uh, you know, opposition that he, I think, voluntarily removed his tweet. Hmm. But um, so, I mean, what he had said was, and let's see if I can put my finger on it while we're still line here, but we're talking about uh, he he was a uh, a rusher for the Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see here. Yeah, Zadarius Zadar- Smith was his okay. name. Okay, good. And, and he received so much backlash that he deleted his tweet. Huh. And what he said was basically this: the 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 massacre looked like looked to him like a violent video game. Now he didn't have any inside information. He didn't know about this young man, but he knew enough about video games to recognize the telltale signs. Hmm. And Very so he speculated about it. But they, even that was too much for the gaming industry, and they pounced upon him and forced him to back, you know, this tough football player basically forced him to back off. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and delete that tweet. And I will tell you, John, as we're talking, now that you said his name, I, I had it re- echoing in my head. It's very hard to find it at all right now. To your point on who clears the who clears the Internet and clears things, uh, you know, who clears search engines of things that are so oh, wow. uh, so unpleasant for a, an entity that's worth, a, uh, I think it's $11 billion. Um, this is one example of that. All right, uh, John, I got to run. John Schlafly, everybody. This column this week, again, is uh, vi- Violent Video Games unleash more terror i'm on board john as long as we get uh, to the point where we're talking about the power of the technology now because it's not just saying something that people watch or participate in it's a it's an it is a kind of interactive uh rewiring of people's brains and it's done intentionally and when it's done to a underage kid whose brain isn't formed yet fully formed you have to wonder the the cost so well, thank you, know, Go ahead, john. you you're you know Years ago, in the early days of media and TV, people uh, 50, 70 years ago talked about the subliminal messages. Yeah, right. Which were for advertising. Yeah. But this is so much more devious now and so much more effective. Yeah. That's a great. Now, that I didn't see that in the column, John. I read a draft of the column. I think you might need to go back. I think that's right. Exactly. That is exactly. People used to think there was embedded a subliminal message, and then they would show sometimes you could you could run an extra couple of slides in a movie, and they'd be flashing something. This is like that on, not even on steroids. This is like that to the, to the, to the Elon Musk degree, and you, you can't even recognize. And the impact, in my mind, I don't even think we have, in my estimation, we really don't know the impact of what's happening because the generation that is rewired brain is being rewired in real time rapidly in the last 10 years when smartphones became so good at this and the tech companies figured out that's the last 10 years. That's people that are about 12, let's say 12 years old to 22 years old, that window where that we don't even know what they're going to be like, how their lives are going to go, what is the shape of it, what the mental health costs will be. I, I, I think it's off the charts. So a uh, good column. Thank you, John. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. That's John Schlafly and Andy Schlafly. They write the Schlafly Report each week over at townhall.com and archived at phyllisschlafly.com. You can find it all at proamericareport.com. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. (laughs) 
Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. I was reading a piece over in on Breitbart.com about Bud McFarlane. And now the reason why I got so interested, he passed away, uh, I don't know, a few days ago. I'll have to look at the exact time. And the piece is by Jim Pinkerton over there. And I was reading it because Bud McFarlane was one of the men and one of the leaders who promoted Star Wars, the missile defense, which is, you know, the legacy is complicated because maybe all the history will never be written. But it looks a lot like the Star Wars initiative, the defense initiative, uh, was one of the key ones that sort of broke the back of the Soviet Union who tried to keep up. And, of course, the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked so closely, was a huge proponent of that. So I got on the horn, and uh, Breitbart.com is so good about getting their writers with us. Uh, Jim Pinkerton's with us. So Jim wrote this piece uh, on the 13th of May about uh, Bud McFarlane called Pinkerton, colon, the, the Bud McFarlane I Knew. So first of all, welcome, Jim. But tell, tell me the context of your friendship relationship with uh, Bud McFarlane and how that came about. Well, thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me. I, I first met Bud in 1991 when he was, he, hmm. he had been, of course, President Reagan's national security advisor from 1983 to 1985 and had worked in the State Department before that for President Reagan. And in 1991, he, he was at a conference held by the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, which is sort of a center-left you know, think tank uh, here in Washington. And the speaker was a was the then Russian ambassador, or Soviet ambassador to the United States, a guy named Vladimir Lukin. And Lukin was talking about, you know, what was then the breakup of the Soviet Union, and it was a serious enough issue. And Bud got up and, and asked a question. He said, in 1983, President Reagan launched a program of economic challenge to the Soviet Union. And that program was called the Strategic Defense Initiative. And so, Ambassador mm-hmm. Lincoln, could you tell us, please, what the impact of that was on the Soviet Union? And uh, just to hear him talk like that, I was sort of intrigued because he used the phrase economic challenge, which when you think, you know, missile defense sounds military, and of course it is, but the point is, missile defense is so enormously expensive and technological that it sort of separates, you know, the men from the boys and or in terms of who can afford it and how to do it. And Lucan said, you know, during the Cold War, in response to McFarland, you know, we Russians had had lots of big missiles. The Americans would build a missile and we would build a missile and maybe even make it bigger. Um, and it seemed like we were doing OK. But then in 1983, when President Reagan uh, launched Strategic Defense Initiative, SDI, uh, we, we said, wow, this is really different. This is not just more missiles going back and forth. It's just now something qualitatively different. So we need to study and see if we can do it. And two years went by and a couple of Soviet leaders you know, passed away. And the new leader, Gorbachev, got the reports at about the same time in 1985 saying, you know, look, we don't know for sure if the Americans can do this SDI thing, but we do Mm -hmm. know that we, the Soviets, cannot. And Hmm. so we better hit the sort of panic button here. And Lukin said, you know, so Gorbachev launched on all these new reform programs and so on, which, which he intended to help keep the Soviet Union competitive with the United States as if the U.S. was doing SDI. 
And he said, along the way, our system collapsed. I mean, Gorbachev was, you know, sort of more experiment than anything else. And experiments, you know, are, are dangerous at sometimes. And so, anyway, so, so Lucan's point was, he concluded with, and so SDI accelerated the collapse of our system huh. by five or ten years. And I thought that was wow. so profound. Uh, you know, that's yeah. Being the evil empire, you know, a, a phrase that President Reagan used while McFarland was the national security advisor. Uh, yeah. was sort of excited to hear all this. And uh, so I went up to him and introduced myself. And I was and that was how we became friends. Huh. It's uh, that's fantastic. Uh, 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 kind of uh, first of all, the question is so key. And I'm highlighting for folks, uh, Robert McFarlane, um, he passed away in the last week or so. And he was a Marine who went to uh, I think it was a Navy, yeah, Naval Academy grad and then went on, served in combat in Vietnam in that era and then came back and uh, served in various staff levels, uh, ended up uh, running the National Security Council or on the National Security Council for a couple of presidents, I think three of them, and ended up under uh, Ronald Reagan, one of the key guys and and was caught up in the uh in the iran uh contra stuff i'll get to that towards the end but back to this um back to this that era um jim when you think about him uh, different than this moment we're in where we hear about russia if you're a young person you hear about russia obviously they got nukes they're a big uh, a big entity but the soviet the dominance of the soviets there was no doubt who the uh, rival the enemy was in that period and and so everybody from bud mcfarland to ronald reagan would have been aware hey this is who our rival is it wasn't there wasn't any doubt about it and it was i think in some ways clarifying uh and uh, different than the moment we're in now yeah, exactly. I mean, this, right. This, we talk about China now, and we tend to think of China as a big threat, but and it is. But the Soviet Union back from the 40s through the early 90s was the rival power that people would oftentimes say, you know, look, they have more military than we do. And so, I mean, who? nobody quite knows. I mean, they turn out to be a lot weaker than they thought. But Bud McFarland, who was born in 19... 19- 38 and graduated from Annapolis in 1959 and then was commissioned into the Marine Corps and was there in the, in the Marines for 20 years and retired as Lieutenant Colonel in 1979. Right. And his entire life was shaped by uh, this uh, great the Cold, the Cold War with the so- Soviets and their proxies, such as North Vietnam. Yeah, uh, we're talking again uh, with Jim Pinkerton about his piece over at Breitbart.com. I'll put it up on social media. So McFarlane, um, uh, as you point out in your in your piece uh, in the first paragraph, he gets, of course, the the New York Times uh, uh, obituary gets the, you know, fall from grace is in this first sentence because of Iran, uh, Iran Contra. Um, did you when you got to know him, it would have been. Uh, uh, five or so years after the Iran Contra was uh, had gone, and and he, you know he was through that period. Did you ever talk about it? Did, what was his sense of it? Is there a, was there a? Um, I, I once talked to someone who was involved on the edges, and they had no. Um, the only thing they were mad about was that some of the people who got caught, uh, you know, lied and ratted on each other in a way that wasn't good. Otherwise, they thought they were on the right side. Uh, how did how did Bud McFarland feel about Iran Contra and all? He, he he saw it as a sort of a daring strategic venture that you know. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, remember it, in those days there were several objectives the United States had. One objective was helping the anti-communist Contras in Nicaragua fight the Nicaraguan communist government, which I 
up than he thought. He certainly thought was a good and honorable thing. And, you know, very associated with that was another Marine Lieutenant Colonel, Oliver North, who was helping at the National Security Council back then. And they, they thought, well, let's help the anti-communist. Uh, and then, he, then at the same time, remember, this is almost 40 years ago now, there was the Iranians and the Iraqis, the two countries, were fighting each other in a very bitter war. And it was actually, rather, I can say, kind of clever policy of the United States to help both sides fight each other. It was sort of, sort of brilliant, if you ask me, in terms of if you have two hostile countries, help them you know, wear each other down. And at that time, it was sort of a, a, a clever but somewhat sneaky policy of the United States to think about getting weapons uh, to the Iranians. And, and they were specifically selling Israeli weapons to the Iranians. Again, this, all this politics of 40 years ago was complicated. People think, you know, Iran, it, it, it's, it's a bad country. But in certain tactical senses, there was this hope that we could manipulate the Ayatollahs against Saddam Hussein, and potentially, you never know, uh, make some better arrangement with Iran. And, and so that was an experiment, and they tried to kind of put those two together about aiding the Contras and selling weapons. And in, in Bud's view, it was it was a, a, a an effort uh, that, you know, the liberals, the Democrats didn't like. And so they took something they didn't approve of and called it a scandal. Right. Hey, uh, again, uh, we're talking with Jim Pickerton about his piece over there, Bud McFarlane, uh, Breitbart.com about Bud McFarlane. Uh, that, uh, so, um, the, uh, the, the, in that, in the, when I read back on this, and I, I wondered again if you talked to McFarlane about it, and obviously he's dead now, but uh, I've always wondered how much Reagan really knew. And I don't mean that as an insult because I didn't think that, I don't think presidents should know everything. I mean, it's kind of part of the, the job is so busy and so hectic. I always wondered how much Reagan really knew about what was happening. Well, that, that is a question, and, and I asked. I talked to Bud about that as well, and, and you know, I, he, he, I remember vividly him speaking to some of the controversies about the strategic defense initiatives. To go back to that, which is you know a, a couple of years earlier, and there's no question, you know, President Reagan was right. born in 1911, and you know he died in 1994 of Alzheimer's, and so somewhere in there he was definitely, you know, losing some of his powers. But in the early 1980s, this is a point that Bud made to me very clearly. Part of the fight over SBI was people said, well, it's too right wing and you shouldn't be defending America against military attack and, you know, and so on. It was very right. controversial. I mean, really, really controversial. You're old enough to remember this. It's just people said, yeah, this is just the worst thing ever. And so Reagan had the idea to sort of take some of the edge off of this proposal of missile defense to say that our long term goal is to eliminate nuclear weapons. Now, Reagan was as hard-nosed yeah. and realistic as anybody, and he didn't want to have a world where the Russians or Chinese would have nuclear weapons and not us. So it was just sort of a nice thing to say to the United Nations and so on. And yet, in the Oval Office in the early 80s, the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of State, and these were honorable men, Catherine Weinberger and George Schultz, would say, well, you can't say that. And Reagan would say, oh, no, I want to say it. I want to put it in the seat. Mm. And so that they could hmm. each draft would go back to the State Department and the Defense Department and it would get, you know, nursed around. Yeah. <laughs> around. Right. And, and it would come back without those, that language. And Reagan said, put it back in. And they said, okay, whatever you say, Mr. Right. President. They come back a week later and it still wouldn't be in. 
And McFarland said, <laughs> well, then the president took out a pen and wrote it in his own text. And he said, you know, he just was using the rap on Reagan. He wasn't paying attention. He, he, in, on some things, he really, really was paying attention. At the point McFarland yeah. was making, he really was on top of it. And that, I realize, is not the way people remember him. But you know, to, to look at the Reagan diary, which is not completely on Yeah, yeah, right. Look at it. Right, yeah. It's an astonishing yep. eight years of great detail about both personal things going on in his life and many policy issues. Uh, this is the guy who was, you know, uh, we all should have as many morals as he did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And no, you're said, exactly right on that one. One point to make. He was hard of hearing, and that's what confused people, you know, because yeah. he couldn't, he, it, it, nobody at the community had a hearing trouble. And so people would say, well, he's not, I said something to him, and he didn't respond. He must be dumb. Well, right. not true. Yeah. Was, yeah. Hmm. Well, it's a great context, Jim. Jim Pinkerton, thank you for writing it over at Breitbart.com on Bud McFarlane, uh, the Bud McFarlane I knew. Great context, important uh, as these, uh, as you write in here, great men uh, uh, pass on to remember the details. Appreciate it, Jim. Thanks again. We'll have you on again. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Colleges claim they grant admissions based on academic merit, and girls come out of high school with better grades than boys. But that doesn't always mean they are smarter or more capable of doing college work or more likely to succeed after graduation. Boys do far better on average than girls on the SAT test for mathematics, which means that boys are better prepared than girls for STEM majors in colleges. That has been true every year for more than 40 years. Nearly twice as many boys as girls attain very high scores on the math SAT, with an immense difference at the high end. But the job market for STEM graduates is not as attractive as it used to be, due to corporations' preference for hiring lower-paid, easy-to-control foreigners on H-1B visas. Many smart American guys decide that the high cost of an engineering degree is not worth it. A shocking 46% of recent college graduates work in jobs that do not require any college degree. Boys are more likely than girls to look at the cost-benefit trade-off of going to college. The imbalance of so many more women than men at college has been a factor in the various sex scandals that have made news the last couple of years. So what's the solution? One solution might to impose the duty on admissions officers to arbitrarily admit only half women and half men. Another solution might be to stop granting college loans, thereby forcing students to take jobs to pay for their tuition and eliminate time for parties, perhaps even wiping out time for fraternities and sororities. I went through college while working a 48-hour-a-week manual labor job, and I don't regret a minute of it. It was a great learning experience. I received nearly all A's long before the phenomenon of great inflation because I devoted 100% of my available time to studying for the courses I was taking. Because I paid for the college myself, I made sure I was getting my money's worth. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. 
The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms and colleges and schools across the country. If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, do me a favor. When you get a chance, uh, share this uh, broadcast. If you're listening on uh, any of the social media outlets or listening online or you're listening live, uh, do me a favor. Find a way. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. That's one way. At Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. Uh, Ed Martin live on Facebook. Spread the word. Help us get the word out. Uh, we love doing this program. We love turning it into standalone segments and podcasts and everything else because we have great guests. We have great listeners. And we have, I think Raheem Kassam said it the other day, we have developed a community of folks who want to fight back and pay attention to the important issues. So uh, please uh, feel free to do that uh, for us to get the word out there. Hey, one question I did get from one of our listeners about Twitter. In the last 24 hours, you saw Elon Musk uh, put a pause on the Twitter deal. And someone said, can you really do that? And the short answer is not really. I mean, he's kind of negotiating in public, right? He's saying, I'm not sure Twitter is telling the world exactly what they have. Therefore, I'm not sure I could make the right bid on the price. Uh, maybe I should change it. But to be honest, Elon Musk is bound by the, um, the public filings in the SEC uh, that if they were proven to be improper, Twitter be in huge trouble. So you have to assume Twitter filed something that's defensible, in which case, you know, Musk was on uh, alert, on notice to that when he made his bid. So I, I think he's mostly posturing in the public, uh, in the public eye. I don't think he really has grounds to withdraw his uh, bid, but we'll see. But we'll see. Certainly, you have to say everything he does right now gets attention for him and for Twitter and everybody else. It's extraordinary. So uh, we'll watch that. But I don't think he has a ground right now to get out of the deal. And there is a big penalty if he tries to back out of the deal improperly. He pays a big uh, fee up front. I don't know, it's $100, $100 million, some big number. Uh, we'll find out more on that. All right, I got to run. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, associate producer, Joanna Spilger, and you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.